Humanist Theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help us build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Incahunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Well, hey, Pastor. Hey there, Dr. Robin. How are you? I'm good. I've not been outside, but the sun is shining and the rain seems to have stopped. Yeah, man. The rain has just got my uh, my soul wet and dreary in addition yeah. to my ground, the ground outside wet and dreary. I am, I am, I recognize the need for it. I rejoice that the earth is getting all of the nutrients that she needs, but good God, we have had enough. Yeah. I kind of feel like we've been, yeah, I kind of feel like we've been living in Seattle the past several weeks. It's been so gray and rainy. Yesterday I went to the eye doctor and it just was like, you know, it was about that time when the sun was going down and it got very gray and dark and rainy and that just doesn't excite me. It doesn't excite me either. And I am already someone who suffers from seasonal affective disorder. Um, it's something that just kind of enhances the normal depression that I, that I struggle with. Right. Um, day to day basis. And so I really recognize and can feel kind of in my being the way that the weather changes and makes me grumpy and way more bitchy than normal. Isn't it amazing how things like that impact our bodies? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it shouldn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise any of us. Um, and I, and I don't think it surprises me, but it also, I guess it's more of an affirmation for me. Every time I recognize the way my body is responding to something that Oh, right. This is a, this is a, a, an embodied mix of kind of being for all of us. And, and our bodies are reacting to the weather, are reacting to one another, are reacting to the scenarios that we find ourselves in. Like every single thing causes both an action and a reaction Mm -hmm. uh, from us. And it, you know, it shouldn't surprise me, but. Um, I sure do like to complain about it a lot. Um, guess what next week is? What's next week? Mardi Gras starts. Oh, I know that. It's I fat, know that. It's Fat yeah. Tuesday next week. I wasn't Tuesday. sure which way you were going with that. Yeah. It is Fat Tuesday. So, um, it's. I mean, it's Mardi a, Gras has already started. Yes. The celebration. Um, yes. but Mardi Gras as in. Fat Tuesday, and then the celebration of Ash Wednesday the day after is next week. Yeah. So I feel excited about that. All of my friends in New Orleans are riding on floats and catching beads and spending their days outside, drinking their faces off and enjoying carnival and 
you know, all of the, the amazing, amazingness that comes with this season. I mean, as you know, New Orleans is one of my favorite places to be. Yeah. It's, it would be the place that I would spend all of my time. Um, you know, if there weren't, you know, yeah. if there was nothing stopping me. Well, we're going to so do I'm, Mardi Gras one day. We are. Now, Lord. What, what that looks like is that I'm going to sleep all day and then take a siesta at six. And then be ready to go by eight p.m. That that's not what that looks like. You you parades are during the day. Oh really? They're not at night. Yes. No. No. You. I mean, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have. We're gonna have to plan your sleep time and your siestas based on whatever the parade schedule on on any given day is. Do they publicize that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that's. Before I turn 50, it's a, it's my bucket list to do Mardi Gras with you. All right. <laughs> Lord, what could possibly go wrong? There, I'm there excited. Will be all, I, I'm excited, too. There will be all kinds of Instagram videos. Of shimmies. Will, of shimmies that will make their way around the the Internet. Uh, for those of you that don't know, um, Dr. Robin is famous for their shimmy. They're shoulder shimmy. Sometimes if you're really lucky, they give you a full body shimmy. But in most cases, it's kind of a head, neck, shoulder <laughs> shimmy dance that comes. It's a groove. It's a groove. It, it's a groove. It, it historically comes after several bourbons yes. or mezcals have been yes. consumed. And um, and if you're ever interested in um, seeing the infamous shimmy, you can visit my Instagram page um, at Unholy Heretic, and you will you will find a, a series of shimmies. In fact, they made them onto your like top nine um, when you did it. So I they felt, did. I felt excited about that. Yeah, I mean, my people love the shimmy. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people love the shimmy, and the thing is, is sometimes I don't even remember that you've done you've videotaped me. Right. That 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 that's every a different a, that's that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> every once in a while I'll send a shimmy video to your girlfriend and say, um, look at what just happened. Can you believe that this just happened here? And she laughs. Yep. Oh my gosh, she laughs. So we're we're doing our second episode, which is really our episode for this week because we couldn't record last week, so listeners will get two episodes this week and be able to get caught up and everything. And we're going to continue the theme of the body, but we're going to not make it so heavy like we did for the last episode. And we're going to talk about um, the body as a canvas, the body as resistance relative to our tattoos. Yeah, I'm so excited. We both have tattoos and, and I've actually, we've actually never shared these stories with one another. And so right. I feel really excited. Yeah. So out of all the things that we've talked about and all the things that we know about each other, we actually don't know the stories about our tattoos. And so, right. um, we both have several tattoos and so we may not go through all the tattoos. Right. But we, but I'm really excited to hear some of your story about your tattoos. Yeah, this is, I mean, this topic is a topic that's really close to my heart um, for a number of reasons. One, because I, I really, I find radical beauty 
in the art of tattooing and the ways that people wear their stories on their bodies. Um, but also because um, a number of years ago, I set out to kind of create this um, uh, art show around the beauty of tattoos and the spirituality that comes uh, for many of us um, in the, the, that associates with the stories of our tattoos. And this, uh, this art show is called Faith Marks. And if anybody is interested in, in learning more about it, you can go to ourfaithmarks.com and check it out. There's three chapters of stories. Um, and more or less what it is, is it's a, it's a, a photographic art show, a traveling art show that, um, highlights gorgeous photography of people's ink and then the spiritual story and in some cases faith-based story that goes along with that ink. Um, you know, it, it started to kind of give us a way to tell those stories and to, to tell, um, our, our truths around the ink on our bodies, but also as a bit of a way to bridge the gap between those who don't understand why someone would be tattooed, mm -hmm. why someone would even get a tattoo on their body. Um, and in, you know, in evangelical circles and, and other faith circles, that's not a stretch. Many of us know people who, um, you know, will pull out Leviticus 1928 right. on, a reg, on the reg and say, you know, you should not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoos, nor tattoo any marks on you. Um, so says the Lord. And, and I mean, we can, we can look at that, that passage all day long and we can take, um, you know, literacy lessons if we want. I, I'd much prefer that that be a completely different, uh, episode. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we have, um, we, we are, we are becoming a people, a, a culture that is largely more accepting mm -hmm. of tattooing. Um, and piercings. But we, and piercings. Um, but we also, um, are becoming a culture that is largely more interested in the ways we tell our stories to one another. Yeah. And I think the tattoos are a really beautiful way to do that. Um, if you ever want to start up a conversation with someone that intrigues you or that you aren't quite sure how to, you know, to kind of break the ice, um, if they have ink, and that ink is readily visible, um, more people than not will gladly tell you the story mm -hmm. about their tattoos. And I, I just love the fact that, you know, that we're at a point in the nation or in our, in our history as people, as humans, that this is, this is something that's, um, not taboo anymore and that we can honor and celebrate and, um, just revel in the beauty that we that we wear on our skins. It's not only that we like to tell stories, but we are also people who make meaning with one another. Mm, yeah. And I think that beautiful way to say it. I think that when we tell each other our stories about our tattoos, we're also in some part making meaning from that experience of getting tattooed and then sharing the visual art with the public. Mm. And isn't that, isn't making meaning the way to belonging? Yes. 
because so many of us are in search for belonging. And, right. and I think that you make a really good point around if you ever want to strike up a conversation with someone, ask them about their tattoos. It's a great way to find belonging with someone. Yeah. And, you know, and some may, may be guarded in the ways in which they provide an answer. But regardless of how much they are willing to tell you, you know, you have honored them and you have honored their story in simply asking the question. Right. They are, they are, they may be, they may be nervous to tell you the full story, but there, there is also a way in which you have honored the fact that you see the fact that they have a story in the first place. Yeah. Simply by, simply by asking the question. And isn't that so much of what's wrong in the world is that we don't see each other as, as we want to be seen. Right. And that goes for LGBT people, people of color, but it also goes for the straight white cis person who is working to get their hands dirty and maybe isn't seen for the work that they're doing. I, I know that, I know that that's a, that's a lot of people's story. Sure. So, yeah. so I'm I'm curious, like if you were if you were we're talking here, obviously, and and on the podcast, but what is the story that you want to tell about your tattoos, or is there a tattoo mm-hmm. that you want to lift up as being particular? Yeah, I, that's you know, it's a that's a hard question, honestly. Because every one of my tattoos has a very different reason for being. Yeah. And each one of those reasons was very, was critical. Let me take that back. All but one of the tattoos. The, the reason for it being was kind of a critical, uh, touch point for me in, in where I found myself in my life at that moment. Self-admittedly, I have a tattoo um, that I got uh, 23 years ago. It was my very first tattoo um, with my husband. He and I were on a road trip and hanging out um, away from home and decided to get tattoos together. And uh, it is it is a tattoo that has meaning for me because it's my first and because I got it with him. But it is not a tattoo that has any significance at all about my, my life, my journey, yeah. my path, my, yeah. all it is, is a touchstone in time of, ah, first tattoo, ah, young love, ah, I did this with, you know, with, with my, my, it was my fiance at the time. And, um, and, and thankfully it's in a place on my body where he's the only one that sees it. So I don't even ever have to tell the story. About it. <laughs> But those, but those first tattoos, those first moments are really important. I mean, I remember my very first tattoo, I was in Greek class in undergrad, and my very first tattoo is a Greek word, which is ichthus, which actually translates to mean fish in English, but it's an acronym that was used by first century Christians to, to be able to identify one another. 
Um, and so that was my first tattoo. And I've, and I've never, as much as I have been in turmoil with the church and left the church and come back and on the borderlands and whatnot, I've not covered it up because I feel like that is, it means something to me. Right. Right. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I mean, every other piece of ink that I have, I could write a novel on. Yeah. Um, but that one, that, that, uh, that lone tattoo on my hip, it's sweet and yeah. it makes me smile when I see it, but there's just, there's, there's nothing there. There's yeah. nothing there. It's like, uh, it's like a, a dog staring blankly at you in the face. You just know that there's, there's nothing there. But I still think that it holds meaning and value course, for you, right? And so, and I think, and I think the point is whether or not the public sees it, um, that it, 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 ha- it brought meaning and value right. to you and in your relationship that is, that I'm aspiring to have with somebody, you know, that is like 24 years long. Right. You know, and so, um, that, I think that is important to, to point out that the, the value that it holds, even though, I agree. even though I'm not going to be looking at it or anybody else is going to be looking at it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And it's a little silly and, yeah. Um, you know, but it's fine. It's sweet and man, it, and it makes my heart happy. Which yeah. Is, you know, which is as important, I think, as anything when we talk about art. Yeah. As, as for the sake of art. Um, so I guess the other, so I'll talk, I have a, I have a tattoo of a yellow rose on my ankle. Um, I got, that was actually the second tattoo I got and I didn't get it for, another 10 years after I got my first, um, for the first 10 or 11 years, my family never knew that I had the first tattoo. Uh Um, my family was largely not affirming of ink on your body that you could see, uh, ink on your body period, whether you could see it or not. But then, um, in 2002, um, my very best friend who, um, had grown up with me since we were, were really, really young children, um, died by suicide. And, uh, through a series of, um, healing exercises and therapy and all of the stuff that happened that year after her death, I got a tattoo of a yellow rose on my ankle. The yellow rose is the rose of friendship. And I wanted to mark in some way kind of the um, impact of her on my, the way that she's imprinted me. Um, and so I got that tattoo. Um, <clears throat> it's remained unchanged now mm. for, um, for all those years for, for 18 years. And um, as much as I probably should get it touched up or freshened up a little, um, I actually um, find peace in the warmness of it, uh-huh. the way that it is um, wearing um, on my ankle. Um, I have a phrase from a hem on my arm. And this was the first piece of art that I allowed myself to get 
knowing that it was a hundred percent for me. Yeah. Um, and not in any way for anyone else. It's, it's the one tattoo that I got when I said to myself, you know, people may not get this and I, and it doesn't matter to me. Well, it, I, so it, it comes from, it comes from my favorite hymn. Tell, tell our good people, um, what it says because I actually love this piece of art and I, I love it not just for what it says because it's true for me too, but it comes from my favorite hymn if I had a favorite hymn. Yeah. So, um, the tattoo on my arm says prone to wander. Um, and it is from the hymn, um, come thou fount of every blessing in the, um, in the fourth verse of that, of that hymn, um, the, the stanza says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. And I, have I was going through a, a a pretty significant deconstruction phase um in my faith at that point and really recognized that it, it is one of my favorite hymns, but it also that line um of being prone to wander, prone to wander away, whether it is the way in which my my mind wanders because I'm ADHD yeah. and I'm a seven on the Enneagram yeah. um, or whether it's the way that my spirit wanders away from the anchoring of my Christian faith, um, the way that my heart sometimes wanders away from those that I love, it, whether for the need of, of self-preservation or, or, um, you know, asking myself to kind of seek protection in some way. Yeah. Um, it has a lot of different meanings for me, but it really is this, it's just this simple reminder for me. And I see it every day because it's on my forearm that I am prone to wander and that that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that wandering is not, is not something that God can't handle. It's not something that, I should be ashamed of. It's not something that I ever need to seek forgiveness for. Um, it's just simply a, a thing that is necessary for me in the way that I um, act out and manifest myself as a, a Christian in the world. Yep. I love that. And I, I love that actually, I mean, it's a pretty old hymn um, and I love that there's history to that, to that phrase. And a lot of different people have redone that hymn and made it contemporary, which right. you know, lots of beautiful renditions. Um, you know, I have, I have a lot of tattoos and yes, you do. And, you know, some of the tattoos that I have, people don't see just because they're on my shoulders or on my chest and, um, and I, but I, but if I'm, if I'm thinking about the, t the tattoo that, um, tells the truest truth about me, it is, uh, the two tattoos that I have on both hands that say divine doubter on the, on the outside edges of my hands. And I think it, I think it's because I've been thinking a lot about, are we living in a 
in a post-theist moment? Do we actually need to reimagine what it means for God to exist? We're, you know, we're not living in the same time as when the Hebrew and Christian scriptures were written. And so what does that mean for our own meaning making? And are we living in a post, are we living in post-theist times? And do we need to reimagine conceptions of God? Um, and so divine doubter is, is actually very true. And, um, I think the doubt that I have and the ways that like at the end of the day, I can, I can say simultaneously, I'm compelled by the stories of Jesus. And yet I don't know. And the, I don't know. Right, and how beautiful is that? Yeah, how beautiful is yeah. that, that you can kind of sit in that, that dissonance yeah. and, and, and still affirm that, you know, there's something about the story that that still continues to kind of tug at you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, when I think about going about my, my days, doubt is with me just as much as my childhood faith. And um, when I hear a good sermon, I feel it in my bones. When I hear good singing, I feel it in my bones. I mean, that it, it's part of my DNA. Um and yet, um, I don't, I don't have the same kind of orientation to religion and faith and values that, that, that comes from a very sort of conservative, confessional, um, response to religion. Um, right. which, you know, people can make judgments about that, but I, I mean, I, I feel like I've spent a lifetime in academia studying and really trying to come to an understanding of how do we make meaning in this world with one another? How do we survive ourselves as humans? There was a time where we needed a very particular orientation to God. And now I wonder if doubting in those normative systems is actually more liberating and freeing than binding ourselves to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I, I mean, I affirm that it is. You and I have, have had this conversation several times. I think both of us find the means by which we have permission to doubt and seek and, you know, be confused about the things that are happening. Yeah. We find that liberating. Yeah. There's a, there's a freeness in a lack of certainty. Yeah. Uh, and for many that, um, still find themselves in, um, predominantly in an evangelical, um, response to faith, certainty is dangerous or certainty is a, is necessity. And uncertainty um, is dangerous. And uncertainty is dangerous. Yeah. And I think that the, there's a there's a means by which um, I have come to understand that um, I actually find a better version of myself as a Christian um, and as a follower of Jesus through my uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. And and now that I think about it, this other tattoo that I have on my chest um, it's, I'm so funny. Um, it, it's a, it's a, 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 an ancient 
Nahuatl symbol. It's a symbol for good and evil, but it was an early depiction of the Trinity. And that, that's the colonial history of Mexico and how symbols got, were assimilated into the Christian tradition, which right. we can talk all about the violence of colonialism and how bodies get conscripted into that. But, you know, I wear this on my chest because, um, we do need to balance the powers of good and evil in this world. And when I think about being in Charlottesville with you, I could feel how palpable evil was. And I never would have said that evil existed. Um, but I'm, I'm coming closer to thinking that there is an energetic fold that, that we could describe as evil and and no power, no energy needs to be out of balance with goodness, truth, and beauty. And so I wear this on my chest as a reminder that we always need to balance the powers of good and evil. And also it's a like a depiction of the Trinity. And so, like, go figure, people. Right. You are an enigma. <laughs> I like to – in, in a very beautiful way, but you are such an enigma. Yes. Well, yeah. So I have, I have an appointment, um, in a few weeks to have, um, one of the last pieces finished on my quarter sleeve. So I have my, the, the largest tattoo that I have is on, um, my right arm. It kind of extends from the cap of my shoulder mm-hmm. all the way down the outside of my forearm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it covers this, uh, the majority of my, bicep and, and tricep area. Yeah. But I'm going in in a few weeks to actually have the inside of my arm, um, kind of the, the, the rest of that sleeve finished. And that piece has been, um, it, that's, that's been a work in progress. It's kind of the result of four different pieces that were all very intentionally put together yeah. to tell a bigger story. Um, as we talked about earlier in this episode, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of New Orleans um, and all things kind of Cajun and in many ways French. Um, <clears throat> so one of the largest um, parts of that piece is a, is a big fleur-de-lis on my shoulder. And people will often ask me, um, did you get that tattoo because you like New Orleans? And the answer is twofold. I, I mean, I have an appreciation for the city and the people and the culture. But if you read about the fleur de as a symbol, it is also the French cross. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and in, in looking at the way that that symbol was used in Paris during the time of the war, it was also a way in which uh, Protestant Christians, uh, to- share, uh, made themselves known to one another mm-hmm. by using the fleur de kind of as their, um, this is an ancient practice. As their symbol, exactly, yeah. of kind of sharing who they are and, yeah. and just de- and defining their safety, um, with one another. So I have, you know, this fleur de piece. I have this amazing anchor. Um, and then I have an anatomical heart. And so for me, this is kind of my faith, hope, and love. Oh yeah, representation. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I, I really love the anatomical heart. It, um, one of the, one of the bands that I'm most fond of is a band called Need to Breathe. They have a song, um, called More Heart, Less Attack. Mm. And every time I hear that line, I think of my anatomical heart and kind of the, that's a mantra that I want to live by, Yeah, you know, be more heart and less attack. And then directly below those three symbols, I have a huge um, piece of the uh, Holy Spirit, the dove, Um, a white dove that's kind of um, haloed by the eight color rainbow um, that, and then that rainbow kind of paint drips down my arm onto my forearm. Um, I was real adamant when I was let go from the church that I wanted to represent my solidarity with my queer kin in visible ways as much as I could. Yeah. And so um, I was, I was pretty adamant when we, kind of tattooed that ink, um, that paint drip down my arm that it would be visible kind yeah. of as I was preaching and as I was, um, in public, um, in, in whatever way that I found myself. And so that's kind of the way that's kind of the, the ink on my arm right now. And then I'm, I'm getting a big piece added to it. Oh, cool. I'm excited. I'm really excited about I'm going to get my thumbs done. Yeah. Yeah. That hurts. That like hurts me. Yeah. Well, my, my, um, my knuckles hurt. So I imagine that my, my, um, my thumbs will too, but I'm going to get an ink. Um, I'm going to get ink and quill on my thumbs to, to resemble that I'm a writer. Nice. You, uh, your, your body as canvas is, is getting used up. Yeah. You are, you are, you have way less space available than I do. Yeah. I have my legs available and I have my back available, but that's about it. Yeah. You are, you are inked. Yeah. Um, inked a lot. Yeah. The piece I'm going to get to add on to this, um, forearm or this upper arm piece, I'm actually going to be building kind of a constellation of, uh, where I've been in the world. And so, this this may be hard to visualize, but if you can envision a map of the United States and then put a pin dot on all of the places that I've lived yeah. or all of the places that have impacted me or that I have found, um, you know, a, a different version of myself in yeah. that location and then <clears throat> remove the map and leave just the pin dots. Mm. And draw a constellation out of those pin dots um, so that it looks as a, looks as a constellation um, or an an astrology symbol may, may look once it's connected. Um, And so um, I'm going to be kind of tattooing that constellation um, on the inside of, on the inside of my arm. Um, that's gonna hurt. I mean, some other stuff, but yeah, but I'm excited to kind of mark my, kind of mark where I've been, um, 
speak to, you know, some of the places that have impacted me the most and uh, tell the story that way. Um, the inside of your arm is a tender place to put stuff. I, I'm just remembering, I don't have anything on the inside. Well, the inside of my forearms I do, but, um, my upper arm, I just have tattoos on the outside of my arms. And I just, I just know that the inside of the arms are tender places to. Oh, I know. I'm not, I, look, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah. But I really want, I really want the, the whole sleeve to kind of have a fullness and a completeness to it. And yeah. I left it to last. I got to do it at some point. Yeah. What I love about this conversation is that we talk about, um, when, when we talk about art and canvas and creation, the, the canvas in, in this sense, our bodies, um, is, is a piece of its own connected to other bodies, connected to other pieces of art. And if we think about bodies as beautiful, and if we think about the deep interconnection of all bodies existing in the world, or really if we think about all creation that, that exists, then the deep interconnection, the deep interrelatedness of canvas to canvas to canvas creates beauty that language cannot describe. That's a beautiful way to say it. I, I, I love, I love that analogy. I also love the additional thought that the, the canvas that we possess is ours and ours alone. Yeah. And it is uh, to be shared in whatever ways we permit its sharing. Yeah. It is to connect to others in whatever ways we afford it um, ability to connect. But our bodies are the biggest storytellers that we have. I mean, we are shaped and sized and colored and scarred and burned and tattooed and broken um, in a multitude of ways. Mm -hmm. And all of those ways are ours and ours alone. You know, when you, when you say this, I, I want to say yes. And I also want to say, because I know that we have listeners who have been trained in a very particular genre of theology that there are some theologians who will say, and this is their argument against being pro-choice, that, that women don't have the choice to choose because their bodies does, their bodies don't belong to them. <clears throat> and right. there are some theologies that will say bodies belong to a community. And I don't think that you're not saying that, but what I hear you saying is that we have autonomy, we have bodily autonomy and agency Completely. To, to make decisions about our bodies. And this is really important living in a post-Me Too movement where women, in particular women, have not reported how their bodies have been endangered by others because they've been socialized that their bodies don't belong to them. And I think I want to be really clear 
and say that bodily autonomy and an agency, especially female agency, is very, very important for the work that we do and shouldn't be undermined by religious values that would otherwise discount female agency or bodily autonomy because that is that is what breeds violence. Right. You know, um uh Simone de Beauvoir who wrote um The Second Sex. Yes. Um said <clears throat> the body is the instrument of our hold on the world. Hmm. And I love I love the the thinking in that because it is it is both personal and communal. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the body is our our instrument, um, and there is autonomy, and there is um, you know a need for explicit permission um, to touch or alter or um, invade. And yet, as you have stated, our bodies are part of a, a community of energy and movement and, um, and, and kind of intrigue mm-hmm. that, that the world needs most in, in times like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a, I think we, I find that I, I walk a delicate balance between affirming my being, my body, my physical self into that space. Yeah. Um, without giving it away, mm-hmm. but also offering it as freely as I am able based on the scars and the brokenness mm-hmm. and the, um, the shape and the, you know, the mark that I, that I carry. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot here. I mean, we could go on for hours and talk about the body and talk about how the body has been misused and used and how people have taken responsibility for their bodies. And, um, we could go on and on, but we're coming to a point where we need to close this conversation. I know it makes me sad. I I love talking about tattoos and, Autonomy and just the feminist in me just so fucking happy. Yeah. Um, I I think that I want to invite folks to email us. You know, if you're, if you're have, if you're having questions about this episode or want to continue the conversation, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. You can reach us at podcast at activisttheology.com. Remember that activists and theology share a tea. And Anne and I will both get that email. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be in communication with you, in community with you, hear your stories of tattoos and bodies, um, how you've come to a place of bodily autonomy and agency in, in a world that really wants to stifle that, especially for women. Um, and we've got big things coming up. We've got... Uh, Matthias Roberts coming on in a couple weeks. We've got Science Mike McCard coming on in a few weeks. Um, lots of great guests, um, which will be interspersed with Anna and I telling stories and getting our hands dirty. This was a good one. Thanks for doing it with me. Thanks, friend. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. 
Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support the podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray, our friends. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. Hands dirty, I show up so early, they show me no.